Welcome to Sunday on Monday, the best show about cannabis banking that you can listen to any day of the week. Brought to you by Safe Harbor Financial. With six-plus years of unparalleled banking experience with the cannabis industry, you can also bank with confidence any day of the week. And now, it's Sunday on Monday. Do you have any idea how hard it is to use the word pioneer in the 21st century and mean it? Not as an exaggeration, not as hyperbole. It's hard enough to do it once. In August of 2021, I will always remember that as the month that I met three literal banking pioneers. And I had the opportunity to sit down with all three of them up in Arvada, Colorado, and talk about how this amazing Safe Harbor Financial brand and program got started. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Sunday Seafried, Amanda McComb, and Kim Carter Oliver. Eight billion dollars later, in a program that started from nothing, I asked Sunday, did you expect this when you first got started? No, I don't think we had the vision of the size and, and the enormous size of the market and, and what it meant to really working, be working in an emerging market. I think we were just trying to solve a problem for Colorado, and that was our focus. So, you know, I, I, I look back now, and never did I foresee speaking on stage a hundred times in a couple of years or writing a book. Those were never things I saw. I think those were the biggest surprises that faced me, at least. And there were a lot of surprises in the early days and have been since they got started. But there were also legitimate risks to the individuals and the credit union banking brand that you're going to hear about. We had some questions from listeners to the podcast about what kind of penalties did the individual participants in this program face. And so I asked Amanda to talk about that. Well, there's the anti-money, anti-money laundering laws. And so obviously we were all scared of being charged with money laundering or being charged under RICO. And those come with very serious penalties for each of us individually and for the organization. Do you know what those are, just so people get a sense of it? There's, oh. RICO serious, I mean, that's federal. Yes, so there's federal prison time that we all could be charged with um, under money laundering or RICO. Um, there's personal penalties that go into the millions that could happen to each of us. And we followed those cases really closely for those that did get charged with money laundering. Despite the legitimate concerns, Kim, we went to Kim next, said, we felt a little better about it because Sunday said, hey, I'll take all the blame. So we were really concerned about it. But Sunday always seemed to calm us down and say that she was going to be the one that would go to jail and the rest of us really wouldn't. But it really was serious. And some of the penalties with FinCEN always brought to our attention, you know, the penalties are large enough to shut down a financial institution. And so we were always concerned about those also. We're less than three and a half minutes into this podcast. You've heard about RICO, Racketeering Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, and FinCEN, Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. And you have to remember, all of this is being started by a $400 million credit union. And so I asked Sunday, because Kim brought up something I hadn't really thought about. I said, as you were doing this, were you risking the credit union brand itself, or is that a bit of an exaggeration? No, that's absolutely true, and that's why we went really quiet about the whole thing, and we you know, did a DBA called Safe Harbor Private Banking because we hoped that 
that would put the attention on Safe Harbor Private Banking and not necessarily Partner Colorado Credit Union. But the other thing we did was we just did it so slowly and methodically. You know, we didn't rush through. We had to know what we were doing. And we really watched the money. I, I ran reports probably daily to make sure I understood the flow of cash and what was happening. And we never grew faster than we could handle. And they were being careful because, like all of us, we're working, we have families. Next, I asked Amanda about that. I said, did your family understand the risk that you were taking every day when you went to work? Not necessarily. They understood a little bit. Like Sunny said, we were very quiet about what we were doing, and so I didn't share a lot of the details to worry my family. The further we got in the program and I could share more details, it was funny, not my immediate family, but those that, you know, I see at Christmas, some of them had serious questions about whether or not I worked for the cartel and was laundering money, and I was like, no, that's the exact opposite of what we're doing. And they were asking, you know, am I armed? Do I go into work armed? And I'm like, no, I work for a financial institution. You can't go to a financial institution armed. That's absolutely the opposite of what we are doing. And so it was interesting, you know, just this stigma that even came from people that have known me my whole life that I wasn't aware of. <laughs> well, you might be asking yourself, why take all these chances. What I found with all three of these ladies, they had a real passion for this, both from the financial side, providing the service that people needed, but also on a personal side. And so Kim told me a very powerful story about her son, who had been a Marine over in the Middle East, came back, was dealing with some of the PTSD issues, and was given a lot of medications, a lot of pharmaceutical medications. But there was a problem with all of that medicine couldn't take them because it was making him not who he was. So we ended up going to cannabis at that time. Also, my mother uh, was going to a doctor for her back and they were giving her so many narcotics that she was strung out on narcotics that we were able to get her a medical license and get her off morphine and Oxycontin and all the drugs and now she takes nothing for her, not even cannabis for her back and has had no back surgery. So there's a lot in my family that has gone through. My daughter um, almost died from medication for um, epilepsy, so she didn't take any medication. So right now she uses cannabis to control her seizures. I wanted to stay with Kim. Listening to a podcast, you can't see what I saw when I was talking to Kim in person, but it's just obvious that she has a real personal stake in all of this. I do. Um, like I said, there's different situations in my family that has been able to use cannabis to better themselves. Also working in the industry, we have a client that uh, also helps people with cancer to be able to not only get rid of their pain, but to also be able to eat. Um, a, a lot of veterans use cannabis to be able to handle what they've seen in the Middle East coming back. And, it, and they've done a very good job with that, I think. And Amanda also had stories about some of her early cannabis clients that had also had their lives very much improved with the ability to take cannabis as an alternative to pharmaceutical meds. Right. Mostly, and fortunately for myself, it hasn't been in my personal life, but when we started interviewing clients, one of the biggest things that I took away and the, one of the things that made me so committed to Safe Harbor is 
the stories that we are hearing from the original clients and hearing about family members that cannabis really changed their lives and it we you know you go into it and you're thinking a lot about the black market and what tv shows but what we actually saw was people that their lives had been transformed whether their parents last few months were eased by cannabis and they could eat they could sleep and they weren't on narcotics that changed their personalities or made them zombies and children that like Kim said are young children that are going through these horrible horrible diseases and actually can calm down and not be completely personality changing or turn them into the zombies that pharmaceuticals do and yet despite all of this there are still people that have a generational aversion to the term cannabis uh, simply don't believe that it's something anybody should take as I've mentioned in previous episodes I live in Texas where it is still illegal and Sunday explained that she came from a family that dealt with that that wanted no part of cannabis even if it could be beneficial I am um, come from a Baptist background where my father was a Baptist minister and a missionary and so there was nobody in my world using cannabis but I do remember when my father was on his deathbed and he couldn't eat and it was 2009 and I remember venturing to see him and I just kind of whispered and said you know dad if you could eat you might be able to gain some strength and you know medicinal cannabis is legal in Colorado and even on his deathbed he gave me the dirtiest <laughs> look and said don't you ever bring that up again well about the time that all of this is really getting ramped up there's a word floating around on LinkedIn and social media people calling themselves disruptors and I would get a little impatient with that because when I contacted those people I would say well what have you disrupted lately and the answer was always nothing. People were simply talking about it. And I thought of what Safe Harbor had done as, as disrupting the banking marketplace. But Amanda reminded me it wasn't about disruption. It was about helping people that needed legitimate banking. I don't think that I ever really thought that we were disrupting anything. I thought we were helping more than disrupting until there was pushback mm -hmm. and that was surprising to me i mean i hadn't been in the credit union uh industry as long as sunday and kim but i really love the credit union industry because of the values that is put forward of banking the underbanked serving the underserved and you know when sunday and i were talking about that this market was that that this market was what credit unions should be targeting and I guess personally I just couldn't understand I mean yeah it was scary yeah there was a lot of things that could have happened to us there still is but it still just ethically made sense to me I guess it went by pretty quick but you heard Amanda say pushback the pushback was coming from credit union leaders and credit union professionals and credit union trade organizations who had spent a generation talking about people helping people, people helping the unbanked, serving the underserved, had been paying lip service to it. Now these three pioneers are actually doing it. And I asked Kim to talk about that. It is a big deal. I've been in the credit union industry since 1976, so a long time. It's a big deal because we always talk about, or that we always are informed that banks, credit unions only have a certain percentage of the market. 
in the financial industry. Well, when I was talking to Sunday and we decided to do that, I had said to Sunday, this is a chance for the credit unions to step up and be the leaders in the financial world and take this market on because who's more underbanked than the cannabis companies? But we couldn't get any help here in Colorado whatsoever. So I, I do feel that cranes missed the boat there because it really, all over the United States needs to be banked and taken care of, get the money off the streets, and makes the, the communities a lot safer. And when she talks about getting the money off the streets, folks, I spent a week in Colorado. If you really want to appreciate how big this cannabis marketplace is in Colorado, you really need to be on the ground experiencing it. And so when this first got started, this is almost an entirely cash-based business. And so I asked Sunday, we're not talking about people bringing you three or $400 in cash, are we? No. <laughs> that was an eye-opener. <laughs> So I remember the first time we took our first cash deposit in, and it was nearly a million dollars all in 20s, and it took four people most of the day to count that money, at which point, early January 2015, we backed up and said, we can't do this every day. How are we going to handle the cash going forward and found a way to do it very quickly? But uh, everybody was on board to you know, start it that way, at least. I can't even really do the math. $20 to a million is a lot of bills. I mean, that's not a duffel bag. That's a lot of duffel bagging. They, I, I had not heard that story before. you got to tell us about that. I mean, well, it was, it was probably, I think, four or five banker boxes they mm -hmm. carried in on a dolly. It was amazing. But we looked at each other, and once again, we were in a position where we said, okay, we didn't see this coming, but now we do, right? And I guess we're just going to have to work through it. And lucky for us, the clients were very trustworthy. The money was left in our hands. We had all day to count it and get it to the Federal Reserve. But again, you're carrying a lot of money. Now you're having to think about the insurance and the vaulting and moving that money. And so it's quite an experience. So I asked Kim next, it's not just all of the things that Sunday just mentioned, but the clients leaving that money with you, there had to be a tremendous amount of trust. Tell us about that. Yeah, the clients, well, I think we learned and gained a lot of trust through the interviews. Um, we would interview the clients coming in and they needed a bank account so bad. They just, you know, they were begging for bank accounts that they trusted us knowing that we were a financial institution that they felt safe bringing it to us. Plus when we did take upon the delivery of the almost million dollars there was three of us taking the money in and we wouldn't even go to the restroom or do go get a drink of water without making sure we had enough people in there to count for what we needed to have so we did do it by a lot of people that we had. There was four of us, I think, in there, and it did take us hours. Oh, to how long did it take to count? Hours. Mm -hmm. Hours. By hand? Mm-hmm. No, well, we had a little okay. machine. But we realized we needed a big one after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to date, Safe Harbor has banked over $8 billion, with a B, dollars in cannabis funds. And so I had to ask a question that was a little, I think, maybe sensitive, because you heard both Amanda and Kim talk about this. And so I asked Sunday directly, did the credit union marketplace in Denver and elsewhere miss an opportunity to be thought of as the go-to banking option for this gigantic and legal, legitimate business? 
Well, that's an interesting question, and it is in the book, <laughs> because um, it was 2013 when I actually went to our association strategic planning session, and all we kept reading about was how Colorado had a black eye, legalizing cannabis and having no banking access, and how there were people before us trying to get in and do it and were being thrown out or you know being shut down by the regulators and and so i went to this association meeting and i said you know maybe we should take a lead actually get the job done and then help other associations implement the same type of program across the country so that credit unions could take the lead on this and there was a large credit union CEO in there, and he just said, that would be the stupidest thing we ever did. And the room went silent. And that was the end of that discussion. But I wasn't even thinking of doing it at that point in time. It wasn't until people started prompting me in, in 2014, and, and I'm like, okay, okay, I really was going to retire, but I suppose I'll look at this, and hopefully somebody will close the door and tell me, no, don't bother, but that's not what happened, obviously. Obviously, indeed. And uh, that's what I meant. The, the leadership, the people who had been to 10,000 conferences every year did not have the vision or the guts to do what these three ladies did. Next, I went back to Amanda and said, hey, if you could go back in time, what would your current self tell yourself back when Safe Harbor was just getting started? What advice would you give yourself? <laughs> Take more PTO. <laughs> No, I think it would be to really live more in the moment. I think, you know, we we lived in the moment a lot when we were starting it, and we were always, though, thinking ahead to, okay, this is the new problem, this is the new direction, this is the new problem that we have to solve. And, you know, we went through some really hard times, but a lot of them were really fun, and we came together as a group even as we started to get larger and it really was some of the funnest <clears throat> experiences that I've ever had in my professional life and so I if I were to tell myself that you know it's it's really worth the hardship because of the relationships we built professionally the relationships that we built personally and just getting that front door seat to this emerging market and seeing how it grows and people being so creative and people, you know, starting something brand new is awesome. I was struck by the chemistry between these three ladies. And so I asked Sunday, was that a surprise? Sometimes you get three people together, very driven type A personalities. And it's like, you know, great bands don't break up because of lack of talent. They break up because of personality issues. I asked Sunday, was the chemistry, did, it seems so good now. Was it always that way? That was probably not a surprise because we were all willing to do something at such risk. And so, you know, it takes a very unique person to be willing to jump in and do that. But we all had the same vision in terms of doing the right thing, helping Colorado. And when we got to know the companies, like Amanda said, really helping these companies get legitimate banking and make everything safer. So the vision in terms of what our mission was, was a big role in us getting along. And then we played separate roles throughout the process. 
poor Amanda had to test everything and, you know, key it all in and talk to the clients and Kim had to help arrange, you know, the cash management on the back end. And I sat there and said, every night they'd give me a problem and I'd go home and I'd sleep on it and get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and come up with a new test. Let's test this and implement it. And so we just, it was trial and error, trial and error every single day. And we just all, I think we all very well clicked and got along throughout the process. I, I don't remember any time where we butted heads or didn't get along. I think we knew that if we didn't do it right together, we were all going to sink and I wondered about that, some of the pushback that these ladies got from men in the marketplace, maybe the expectations that three women couldn't pull this off, that there would never be a chance that this could be successful. And so I asked him about that. I think with the three women that we had, and we were a great team, and still are a great team, and we didn't have the um, somebody that was above us or better than us. We were all equal. And we all joined in together. We all knew that we had no book to follow, and we all we had so much fun. I mean, there's times we look back and we laugh and laugh. Today we still laugh. But I think in in our world, and they say women don't get along very well. That's why I asked the question. Yeah, um, I, I don't remember seriously having a problem at all with anything together as the team. We we just kept plugging along and plugging along and we kept very quiet. Um, it was funny when a man and I go someplace we didn't say what we were doing or anything like that and today I can literally go out to the public and say this is what we're doing and people are very proud of us mm-hmm. but we never, we got along really well. And of course the brand continues to grow and flourish and when I found out about this story and did some research, I didn't think these three ladies had been given enough credit for what they had done for the state of Colorado and now other states. They do this banking in multiple states and yet at every step of the way, all three of them deflect issues and questions about getting credit for this and Sunday spoke about that very thoughtfully. You know, when you, when you talk about the credit that uh, we're, we deserve, I don't think any of the three of us ever did it to, to get that credit. I think we all did it because we were doing the right thing. Let's face it, people don't get into a banking career for the same appeal. It's just not there. You know, they get into the banking world because they're good I'm with still waiting on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I think what really is... The fulfilling part about what we did is that we did something good for Colorado, we did something good for the safety of the people and for the legitimacy of the companies, and that's the credit that I think really drives the point home in terms of what we're pleased with what we did. On the last episode of Sunday on Monday, Sunday mentioned that she's just getting started, and so I had to ask her, what next? What next? Well, I can't speak a lot <laughs> about what's next, but we have some pretty, you know, interesting plans ahead of us at this point in time, and and unfortunately, we're still at the point in time where it's just in the boardroom and not something we can speak to in, in the public, but... I think we have some good things planned ahead. We aren't done yet. When I had Sunday on my national banking podcast, she mentioned that she enjoyed painting, and I thought maybe this is a part of it. She sees a blank canvas and an opportunity where the rest of us may just see 
a blank canvas and not know where to begin. And so I asked Amanda, I said, was there anything in your personal life that might have helped with all of this? And she told me that she had aspired to be a professor. And so learning about this emerging industry sort of satisfied that curiosity, that need to learn more, to do things that a professor would do. It's really odd that this came about and it was really helpful to just have that drive of researching and learning about the industry in my free time because that's what I was interested in. Henceforth on, on my show, you will be known as uh, Dr. Amanda, <laughs> PhD in cannabis banking compliance and sort of there. They only be honorary, but I henceforth call you Dr. Amanda. And of course, with Kim, as with Sunday and Amanda, she also has some things in her personal life that I think helped with all of this. She's into photography, so she has that creative side, but she also has a little daredevil in her, and she told me about that. I'm also a scuba instructor, so I would go hide in the ocean for a while and, and do a lot of scuba diving. Okay. Um, I did certify Sunday Seafree to be Holy a, cow, all right. um, and she did scuba diving like she did cannabis banking, to the perfection. <laughs> I, just as a little funny story, we were at down deep, kind of, and we were doing one of her, she did every dive that I asked her to do, and she was very good. But I looked over in my eye and I seen her and she was looking at her gauge and she knew that if she just went down a, just a little bit, she'd be at 100. And I watched her do that and then... 100 feet? 100 feet. She did a night dive, Ooh. which was... Night diving is different and it's very adventurous, but it's a different world. And she did a very good job. Well, that doesn't surprise me at all. It was an absolute pleasure to meet these three amazing banking pioneers. And again, to be able to use that word pioneer without any sense of hyperbole or exaggeration. You want to stay tuned to Sunday on Monday for upcoming episodes. We're going to talk to the leadership of Partner Colorado Credit Union, the CEO and the head of the board. We're going to talk to some of their clients. Folks, this is a great story, a true story about three banking professionals who are actually doing the things that many people in the credit union marketplace simply talk about. People helping people, banking the underbanked. That has been the cornerstone of the competitive advantage that credit unions have proclaimed for the 20 years that I've been in banking. That and the belief that credit unions help one another in a cooperative marketplace. Folks, these three ladies had almost no help at all from the very credit union leadership and professionals who said they would be there to support credit unions when they did new and innovative things. Well, that could be a whole other show. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening to Sunday on Monday, the best banking podcast about cannabis banking that you can listen to any day of the week, brought to you by Safe Harbor Financial, safer communities, safer banking. It's bigger than banking. It's Sunday on Monday. Until next episode, take care.